you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ha! Got him! That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to another episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on The Mandalorian and all the other awesome Star Wars projects that we're going to get announced at Celebration over the next few days. Uh, But for today, we're just here to talk some Mando. Uh, As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I've got my co-host, Tim, with me. How's it going, Tim? What's up, Kyle? Doing good. Another week of talking Mando, and it's a very interesting one. Another one that should be <laughs> make for a very interesting discussion. So looking forward to this episode to talk about what different type of conversation it's going to bring up. Yeah, this was an interesting one to say the least. Um, and like I said, we got, we got celebration right around the corner. As we're sitting here recording this, it's Thursday night right before celebration starts. Uh, so happy celebr- happy belated celebration eve to everybody because as you're listening to this obviously everything will have started already so um we're gonna try to uh get another episode in um during the week before the next episode of mando so like early next week we're gonna try to record another episode and just cover all the celebration news so we can get back to just doing our regularly scheduled mando episode next week um and hopefully Paul can be here for that and we'll be able to talk about, you know, all the new trailers and stuff that have come out uh, by that point from Celebration. So looking forward to that. I can't, you know, it's it's London, so it's several hours ahead. And so, uh, you know, the panels are all going to be starting at like 3 a.m. our time. So I'm excited to wake up before work tomorrow and just read up on the news and find out what all new stuff has been announced to kick off the weekend. So that's going to be a good time. But I may or may not be waking up in the middle of the night just checking my phone past 3 a.m or 4 a.m something like that just to see if anything's broke we'll see yeah i mean i'm certainly not gonna like set an alarm or anything if i happen to wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or something and it's around that time then good for me i guess but um no i'll definitely have to at least like try to wake up a little bit early so i have time to read through everything and and just kind of process everything before i have to start my work day um but uh, yeah, should be a good weekend. Uh, looking forward to um, recapping all the stuff next week and uh, talking about all the big news with you guys and stuff. But um, yeah, like you said, also a very interesting episode of Mando uh, that we got this week. So let's just go ahead and jump right into uh, chapter 22, uh, Guns for Hire, um, which like I said, uh, it was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. We're getting late in the season. Last episode was fantastic. Had a lot of cool stuff. Set up a lot of interesting stuff that we were speculating about. And so my expectations were really high. 
uh, heading into this episode. And um, I mean, there's a lot of little stuff we can talk about, but I kind of wanted to start with overall impressions because Tim, I know you and I were kind of on the same page about this, at least at first that right out of the gate. I mean, for me, like I talked about my expectations being really high and um at first, I would say I was very underwhelmed and it didn't live up to my expectations. But I think it's more fair to say not that it didn't meet my expectations, but that it just took a hard left from what I was expecting. Um, and I've actually since gone back and rewatched the episode again, and I enjoyed it a lot more on the second time. Um, but it is kind of a weird, silly episode. It's a, definitely, you know, more of a fun episode. Um, has some really great moments and, and uh, you know, it's got a lot of good stuff in there, but... Um, coming off the heels of last week and just, again, the setup with, you know, Bo-Katan leading the Mandalorians and Moff Gideon being out there and, you know, these mysteries with the Empire and all this kind of stuff. It was just like, why are we helping Jack Black and Lizzo fix their malfunctioning <laughs> droids instead of all this other stuff we could be focusing on right now? So, um, yeah, it was... Uh, it was it was a little bizarre, but and it's also it's been a very polarizing episode because a lot of people loved it and they're like, this is fun, goofy Star Wars at its best, and I'm just having a good time with this, and this was so much fun, and I loved it. And other people are just like, What the heck was that? This season is all over the place, and that was a complete waste of time, and it was too silly, and you know, the cameos pulled me out of it and whatever. And so, you know, the reactions have been all over the place. And I could tell as I was watching it, I was like, Oh, the discourse around this episode is gonna be fun. Oh um, yeah, that didn't disappoint. <laughs> yeah, but uh yeah, I don't I, I know we were kind of in the same boat, but what uh what were your initial reactions to watching it? Yeah, I think to sum it up in one word is it was weird. <laughs> weird is like the perfect description for it. Um, yeah, just going into it, not what you're expecting. But at the same time, it, there is a cool, fun story in there. Kind of go Bo-Katan and Din Djarin team up to solve this uh, mystery, like this noir <laughs> type feel um, on this planet. And this, even the locations and the the way the streets looked once they got into that part of the planet uh, had a very cool feel to it once they got there. But um, in between some of those moments, <laughs> some of the stuff we got just felt, like you said, just out of left field with some of the visuals and just uh, the performances that we got. Um, a lot of it seemed over the top and intentionally so. It's like, you definitely know this is what they were going for with this episode to be a little more silly uh, to make things maybe a little over dramatic with the way with Jack Black, because that's what Jack Black does um, in his performances. So it was definitely felt intended, but again, it just felt weird that we're getting this type of story um, in this season of The Mandalorian. I know, kind of, you said, I've heard other people say too how it just feels weird to get something like this this late in the season, which I agree with, especially with how the last episode ended revealing that, oh, some Mandalorians potentially are the ones who broke out Moff Gideon. You'd think that's where the story, the main plot would pick up on, but it didn't. But to be honest, I think anywhere in the season, this episode would still feel weird, weird to me, <laughs> no matter where it was placed. I just, I think it just makes, makes it maybe a little more frustrating for some to where it is later in the season when we did get all this set up and knowing how a season of the Mandalorian is only eight episodes especially when you're moving towards the end, uh, you kind of want things to rev up a little bit to 
start really focusing on the main plot of the stories that you set up uh, for the season as a whole. So I, I get that. Um, but watching it again a second time, uh, I did find it a little more enjoyable, at least the stuff once they get into the uh, Din and Bo being detectives and trying to figure out the whole droid malfunction scenario. There's some fun stuff there. Um, I will say too, this episode I think was a really great one for Din Djarin where because it's for there's been a lot of discussion about how he's as a character has been kind of maybe regressed to like a side character or not the main focus, which I think is a fair argument. But at the same time, I think it's obviously all moving to set up something in these next two episodes. By the time we get to the end of the season, we'll get some more progression for his character. But this felt like an episode he was in it more so than others in the season. It felt like more of a Mandalorian type episode from seasons one and two, where he was actually a big part of the episode with a lot of dialogue um, because he has some great dialogue in this one. That's what I loved about it. <laughs> that line where he says, you had me at battle droids <laughs> where they're ready to take on the mission. That was great. And then just hearing him interact with the Ugnaughts, mentioning Quill, harking back to that, all that stuff was great. So I did appreciate and enjoy that more, but the weird stuff still felt very weird. <laughs> but um, I will say though, we'll get into this at the end too. The thing that kind of holds this episode back for me and kind of one of my biggest issues with it is the ending of it, which I know a lot of people say is the best part of the episode. And yeah, it had some cool action in there, but um, the way the story unfolded regarding the dark saber, I do have some issues with it that I'm sure we'll get into. Um, so yeah, so more so that than once I saw it the second time, that's kind of what bothered me more about the episode was the ending with the dark saber more so than the weird stuff just being weird. Cause I mean, I could accept it for what it is. Yeah. It's a little jarring seeing it for the first time, but once you see it, you just kind of accept it. And this is how this episode is going to be, you know, no big deal in the grand scheme of things. So that's why I just kind of roll my eyes when some people say, Oh, this like it's killed star Wars. There's like star Wars, no <laughs> coming back from this now after what they did in this episode. It's like, calm down a little bit. I mean, yeah, it's a few scenes in a tv series that has three seasons i mean you can deal with a bump in the road here and there amongst a tv show a tv a tv series that has already given us so many great episodes and story and content i mean they're allowed so to have certain things that might not uh jive with you for whatever reason so um yeah so i'm looking forward to talking about that ending and how things went down there because that's uh right now my biggest hang up with the episode yeah, and I'm definitely interested to talk about that too. I kind of want to spend more more time just on the earlier parts of the episode first and like how we get there. Um, and obviously the whole setup for the episode is the first scene we see this really cool uh, like Quarren space cruiser. Um, and uh, then like they get hailed by what they think is an Imperial ship. We see like an Imperial cruiser following them. Um, but then we find out it's not Imperial, it's Axe Wolves and Cosca Reeves and all those Mandalorians that left Bogatan and are now traveling around as privateers. Um, and they've been hired to track down this Quarren ship. Um, and they're talking about, you know, the, the Quarren captain is like, oh, you know, this would be an act of war. Oh, they've been hired by the Mon Calamari. And she's like, you know, they're, they're like, we've had peace with the Mon Calamari and this would be an act of war. And he's like, this isn't about war. Like, this is about love. And you took, you know, we know you have like this Mon Calamari prince with you and he's the one we've been hired to track down. Um, which also like, 
this was something I didn't love right off the bat. And even when I watched it the second time, like the setup and everything is fine. Love the design of the Corrin ship, love the, the prosthetic aliens and all this kind of stuff. And then the fact that it's like, oh, these two are in love and the Mandalorians have come to take the prince away back to his people and stuff. It's like, okay, that's fine. But then just the Corrin and the, you know, the Corrin prince and the Mon Calamari captain, like they are other way around the the mon calamari prince and the corn captain kept laying it on really thick with the like oh i love you oh i'll always love you oh yeah. we were meant to be together <laughs> oh we're soulmates oh blah blah and then they start kissing and like her tentacles are like crawling all up on his face and i was just like didn't need to see that um <laughs> so that was like one of those things where like yeah i get that it's like a weird fun episode but like eh, some of that was a bit much um but it was cool to see the Mandalorians in action kind of as privateers, you know, out here doing, you know, doing their thing. Um, and I think even as they're taking them away, Casca says to, you know, she's with either the prince or the captain, one of them. And they're like, oh, I thought Mandalorians were honorable. And she's like, oh, we are like if you've got the right, you know, for the right price or if you've got the money or whatever. Um, so you see where these guys are at at this point. And they've split from Bogotan. They're off doing their own thing. Um, and they're just in it for the money and they're using, you know, those Imperial ships that they've gotten and stuff. Um, and then they mentioned going to Plizzy or 15 cause they've got a contract there and then that's where the rest of the story takes place. But then we go to the title and then we go to Din and Bogotan, you know, in the gauntlet, um, coming down on Plizzy or 15 and you're thinking like, okay, they're going to go talk to the Mandalorians and then their ship gets, you know, hijacked essentially by like the the town the the city security, and they get dragged over to the port, and they get in this tube lift thing and um, go to you know this like royal chamber or whatever where they meet with the the captain and the duchess of the city, and it's Jack Black and Lizzo and like first I when I yeah like you said when I saw Jack Black for the first time it's like I mean it's like good for him that he gets to be in star wars but also he's one of those actors that just is so recognizable and has such like a big over-the-top personality that it's really kind of too hard to see him as anything other than just jack black um mm -hmm. and those are the type of cameos that i don't love in star wars because it's like i'm fine with famous people being in it um, but you still want them to be believable as a Star Wars character. And I look at Jack Black's character in this, and it's like, all I can see is just Jack Black. Like, cool, that's Jack Black in Star Wars. Good for him. Um, and kind of, Lizzo, I guess, was a little bit different because, like, I know, you know, I'm familiar with Lizzo as a singer. And, like, if you showed me a picture of Lizzo on stage at one of her concerts, I'd be like, oh, that's Lizzo. But I don't know her well enough that I would recognize her, like, on the street. And so seeing her in this, I like at first I didn't think anything of it. And then like the more lines she had and stuff, I was like, okay, wait, this woman's with Jack Black. This has also got to be somebody famous. And I was like, is that Lizzo? Like, I think maybe that's Lizzo. And that was kind of distracting because the whole episode I was trying to figure out who it was. And so I got to the credits and saw that that's who it was. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, and now on the other hand, Christopher Lloyd is also in this episode, and I thought his character was great. Like, you know, he's pretty recognizable as well, but um, you know, him being like a veteran of sci-fi, you know, with Back to the Future and kind of being more of a, a character actor, um and not so much of like a a well-known celebrity, if you will um like that worked for me where it's like obviously he's very recognizable as well but like i could i could see that as a star wars character 
um, instead of just this sort of like over the top celebrity cameo. So I was fine with that. Um, but also, I mean, really my main issue with the episode, the first time I watched it again, and you know, I talk about just it not living up to my expectations is I'm like, man, these Mandalorians that you're trying to recruit are right outside and we could go talk to them. And yeah. <laughs> it was like, you know, like the whole, you know, it's like the, the deeper they got into this whole thing with like, oh, we got to go talk to the Ugnaughts and then we got to investigate the battle droids and then, oh, there's nanobots and everything. It was just like my first time watching it, I didn't care. I was like, okay, when are we getting back to like the main story? And I kept checking to see how much time was left in the episode, not to be like, oh, is this over yet? But to be like, please tell me there's still a decent amount of time left for something important to happen in this episode. Um, so that was, you know, like that really was just my main gripe the first time was it was just like why like why are we here why was this an important story to tell um but then like i said the second time around i did enjoy it a lot more once i was like okay i know where this is headed i know what this episode is about um could kind of just enjoy it for the the fun star wars adventure that it was a lot of people have compared it to like an episode of csi um also an episode of clone wars that they did a lot where they would kind of base the format of the episode off of other familiar types of shows like that um and have these kind of fun one-off characters and these kind of one-off uh type of you know stories that was like you know a fun episode but not something on the level of like darth maul taking over mandalore or something like that um and there was you know some good character stuff in there with din and bo katan and it was fun seeing battle droids again and all that stuff so um yeah i like i said i did really enjoy it more the second time around um but yeah the that first time it was just the whole way through that you know the the first 70 percent or whatever of the episode however long all that stuff takes uh you know they're in the city and their whole investigation and everything i was just like why are we you know why did they feel the need to take this detour when you could have just had them show up talk to axe and Casca and the mandalorians and then go and be on their way and you know get on to other stories yeah it, it just really feels like john favreau and bryce How dallas howard were like really excited about telling this type of story on this planet with this droid investigation and these two characters with the Lord and the Duchess was like, they had, they really wanted to squeeze it in here in the season somewhere and felt this was the best place. But I do agree where, I mean, sometimes that's kind of a knock on the series where it's up. Oh, Mando goes to a new planet with Grogu to get, to find someone oh, but they got to complete a side quest first. And for me anyway, it kind of always worked and made sense because kind of what they're looking for wasn't there yet. They didn't have the information or the character wasn't there. So they needed to, do what they needed to do to kind of pave the way to meet their task. But for this one, their goal is right there. They even say it. They even see it. That's what makes it um, feel like a little bit just they went out of the reach a little bit too much to try to get the story in there. And they gave their explanations as to why. It's like, okay, let's like because there's a group of Mandalorians there or to go to go against, I guess, the regulations that they have of the planet since he's an ex-Imperial, so they can't have a full army there but if there's only two mandalorians that doesn't count as an army but it just i don't know it was a little convoluted to get the reasoning for their detour in this one that just felt more so than it has in any other episode of the series at least to me but it's like i said this feels like something they just really wanted to tell this type of story um somewhere in the season and felt this was the best way to do it um 
But going back to the beginning, I, I really liked the intro of this scene, all the Quarrens on a space in their spacecraft. And even the captain where she's in, <laughs> first I thought she was in a back to tank, but it just sounded like something she was just using for uh, relaxation. And uh, I just like how like, she was in there and then just casually the tube went down and she's in her captain chair. And then when they said they were being held by an Imperial ship, I go, oh, this is interesting. I wonder if it's going to be connected to Moff Gideon. But then when we find out it's actually uh, the Mandalorians are with Bo-Katan and the ones who became mercenaries and took her fleet. I was like, oh, okay, so we are moving into this direction now. We are going to be with this group. This should be very interesting. So I was excited about it. But like you said, once the <laughs> Mon Calamari came in a little bit, again, going to that over-the-top um, scenario that we have in this episode, I, I didn't mind the tentacles uh, going in when there was a kiss at the end, but to me, how many times did he have to say, I love you? It was like, that's all he said out of his mouth. She'd give a reasoning, but I love you, but I love you, but I love mm -hmm. you. And it just sounded cheesier <laughs> and cheesier after every time he said it. So, um, but I thought the intro, it was, it was fun to see. I thought it was kind of cool. And then when the title came up, Guns for Hire, I was like, okay, this is, so we're going to be spending a lot of time probably with this Mandalorian mercenaries here, but that's where the detour kicked in <laughs> once we got onto that planet and so much for our speculation as far as saying um what to expect or pretty much everything's going to be new now in these episodes because we saw everything in the trailers except for that shot of that planet that looks like mandalore but probably from the past and we couldn't be further from the truth <laughs> or for, further from our speculation than what it actually was no it definitely was not mandalore uh, for first glance, it looks a little similar, but the planet was definitely a whole lot different uh, than Mandalore is, that's for sure. So kind of jumped the gun on that one a little bit when we saw that shot in the trailer. Um, so, yeah, it just I was excited for it once because I was digging what we got in that first intro in, the, in that cold open in the title. Um, but like I said, it did definitely things took a different direction and the reasoning for um some of the story and the plot that happens is a little bit of a stretch for me than kind of what we're used to in the series. Yeah. I mean, I still, I, I actually meant to go back and watch the episode again today before we recorded and, um, you know, didn't really have time to. And I, um, it's like, I want to go back and kind of look at really like the motivations for why all that stuff happened. And like, wait, what was he exactly trying to do with the nanobots and the droids and stuff? And it was like some, yeah, you're right. Some of it seemed like it might've been a bit of a stretch, but yeah, like all, all the investigation stuff was fun. Um, you know, the character interactions were fun. The, um, just the visuals of the planet and like the production value of this episode was really great. Um, and that was one of the things that, again, kind of bummed me out about it the first time I was like, man, like, I, I wish I cared about this more because like, they obviously put a lot into this episode. And it's like really well directed and well, you know, produced and everything and looks fantastic. Um, and obviously, I enjoyed that even more the second time around. So it is a really, uh, you know, just a, a beautiful episode. And one of the ones with sort of the most amount of different just locations that we see just different places within the city. Um, also, I figured this has got to be the episode with the most like background extras and just, you know, crowds and stuff that we've seen so far, I would think. Yeah, I don't know. It was like I said, on, on second watch, just kind of knowing what to expect. Um, I had a lot more fun with it. Um, 
you know, and just the whole the whole kind of detective story and, uh, you know, everything revolving around battle droids. I do wonder if we're going to maybe see yeah. those come into play again at some point. Now, knowing that there's like this neutral faction planet out there um, run by a guy who also is in the amnesty program from the New Republic um, that's got, you know, this, uh, you know, battle droid labor force, essentially, that's, you know, just decommissioned battle droids that are no longer programmed for combat. But like you could program them for combat again, as we saw in this episode, like they, you know, they're they're droids. They can be reprogrammed. They can be manipulated. So um, or I was thinking too, for it could be a way for them to get IG eleven to be back to the nursing droid um, instead of the bounty hunter droid that he possibly. was to react to him. But again, I just I don't see how that's going to play into the plot moving forward in these next two episodes. But again, yeah, and I don't I don't even they're needed. I don't even know if they are going to like actually reactivate IG 11 at this point, or if that was just a reason for Din to go back to Navarro in the first episode. And like, that's all that was. Yeah. Because it's funny. Cause we're talking about how scenes in the trailer that we pretty much saw everything. Well, one that we forgot about as I saw the episode was actually seeing a shot of that droid bar in the trailer. And I'm just thinking about to when we saw the premiere and they were talking about reactivating IG 11, I went back to that shot in the trailer while I was watching the premiere episode thinking, oh, this is probably where we're going to see that shot where we see battle droids and other droids kind of in a bar to get some information on the part they need to fix IG-11. So that didn't happen there, and then I kind of forgot about it <laughs> as we moved into this episode. And once the whole plot about the droids started coming up, I, that's when I figured, oh, this we're probably going to see that shot from the trailer in this one. But obviously not tied to IG-11 anymore, but it could be a reason for them to go back there. Again, That's even though this episode... Well, like I said, had a weird feel to it. Maybe some things maybe felt unnecessary, but still, when you think that these things pop up later in seasons or in other episodes where it can become an important development later on, where this location mm -hmm. or some plot thread in here could be a huge factor later on in the story coming up. So it's one of those things where nothing happens for without a reason, even though it might feel like it at first. But um Something tells me we haven't seen the last of this planet or at least how this planet op operates with its use of droids and how they're being reprogrammed and stuff. So um, I, have, I just have a feeling that somewhere down the line we'll I'll be revisiting this or elements from this episode again. Yeah, it's very possible. In fact, I mean, there have already been several one-off episodes of Mando that we thought were just one-offs at the time that then elements of those episodes ended up coming back in later on like you know having the uh the droid head on the ship from the first episode or the the prison episode in the first season um that then you know the frog lady used to translate in season two and stuff like that and you know there's mm -hmm. there's definitely a lot of little connections like that so may like you said maybe we'll come back here and the the big droid army will play a big factor into it or maybe it'll just be some little connection you know maybe one character or something like that but um yeah, sometimes you just got to trust that there's a reason they're setting all this stuff up. Um, but I did love seeing the battle droids in live action again. That was a lot of fun. Just the B1s and the B2s, just all obviously different scenarios. But I mean, just hearing Matthew Wood as the battle droid voice from the Clone Wars, I know we kind of, he did them in Revenge of the Sith, but they still sounded different in Clone Wars than they did in there. It's still like a little even more cartoony than they were Revenge of the Sith and Clone Wars. And they kind of hear that exact style 
in live action for a battle droid having a conversation with two Mandalorians <laughs> was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was weirdly enough. That was another thing that kind of took me some getting used to my first time, because as much as I love whenever we get to hear like Clone Wars voice actors doing their thing, um, for some reason, just the first time hearing Matt Woods like Clone Wars battle droid voice from a live action battle droid was like throwing me off a little bit um <laughs> and then also that. i don't know if you noticed this i felt like that b1 battle droid was too tall and the super battle droids were too short hmm. like no, i can't say because, I, I noticed that or felt that way but which i only bring up because like as din was walking up to the super battle droids and kind of messing with them and he starts like waving in front of their faces and stuff they were like the same height as him and I'm like, and the and then the B1 battle droid seemed like it was like six inches taller than everybody else. And I was like, weren't the the super battle droids supposed to be bigger? Um, at least in Clone Wars they are. I don't remember in episode two, but I, I could have sworn the B2s were supposed to like tower over the B1 battle droids. But um anyway, that was just a minor thing. And again, it was one of those things that on second viewing didn't really bother me. Um, and it was just fun to see them all in live action again. Um I was a little bit, not bummed, but like, you know, seeing a whole army of, of battle droids and like this threat of them being reactivated, it was like, oh, it would have been nice to maybe see them in action, especially when you've got this whole army of Mandos on the same planet. And I was like, oh, are we going to get some like Mandos versus battle droids? But no, not yet anyway. Could we eventually? Still a possibility. So, um, yeah, definitely cool to see those again. Um but uh, yeah, I don't know. Let's you want to jump into the ending now? Yeah, because that's where the meat of this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Is, as far as the overall story of the season yeah. goes. Um, so, you know, they finish the side quest. They figure out that it's Christopher Lloyd's, you know, security chief guy that's been reprogramming the battle droids because he didn't trust the the captain guy that was from the amnesty program and all that. So they, they take Grogu and leave and they go back to... Just hearing Christopher Lloyd mention Count Dooku and uh, talk to him as that was uh, cool. a visionary was cool. Yeah, and even seeing that, you know, in this time, even though the Clone Wars are over and we've gone from Republic to Empire to now New Republic, like there are still people out there that still align with the Separatist ideology and kind of just want to break away from all of that and have their own like independent democracy. Um, so that was cool. That was a nice touch. I like that. Um so after all that, they leave, they go back outside, and it's like, now you're able to go talk to the Mandalorians, which is what we came to do here in the first place. Um, and, uh, you know, they go out to this field where they've got all the ships parked and stuff, and, um, you know, Bogotan confronts Axe, uh, Woves, and, um, you know, he's like, you know, you're not our leader anymore, and kind of just dismissing her, and she says, all right, I challenge you, one warrior to another, and it was cool to hear her use that same terminology that Darth Maul used when he challenged Pre Vizsla in Clone Wars, um, and they have this cool fight where, you know, they're uh, they're using their jetpacks and their knives and their their flamethrowers and all their Mandalorian gadgets and going at each other, um, and Bogatan, you know, overtakes him, she pins him down, she's, you know, got her knife to his throat and tells him to yield, and, um, you know, then he starts going on about Din and how um, he's like, you know, you'll never rule our people. Like, you can't even take the Darksaber from him. And, uh, you know, he's the one you should be challenging. And Bo-Katan's like, you know, no, I won't 
like I'm not going to fight him and kill him for the dark saber, like because enough Mandalorian blood has been spilled by her own hands. Um, which I like that line, and just that you know, even if um, Bogatan, you know, in the past has maybe been at odds with Din, or you know, she's now at odds with these guys, like she still kind of stands by that line that she said in in season two that you know, Mandalorians are stronger together, and she's seen what the Empire has done to them over time and she even said in uh earlier this season when she and dinner walking on mandalore and she's like you know it, it really wasn't the empire that destroyed us it was us turning on ourselves and fighting each other and like that made us weak and allowed the empire to take over um and so it kind of it for me it cleared some stuff up as to like how is she feeling about din and the dark saber and why has this not really been brought up this season because you knew it had to factor into the story at some point um but yeah, she's like, no, I'm, you know, I'm not going to fight him for the Darksaber. And, you know, um, Axe is like, he's not even a Mandalorian. Like he has no, you know, it doesn't have a drop of Mandalorian blood in his veins. And uh, she goes on to defend him saying that, you know, he swore the creed and he walks the way just like our ancestors did. And you can see that like she's come a long way from seeing him as just this zealot who's part of a cult. But she really has gained a lot of respect for um for him and that group after, you know, being a part of them now. So she defends him and uh, tells Axe, you know, he's just as bit the Mandalorian that you and me and all the rest of these guys are. Um, and then, uh, you know, Axe is like, yeah, but still like by our customs to lead the Mandalorians, you have to have the Darksaber. And Din's like, well, I'll give her the Darksaber. And, uh, you know, she's like, no, you can't just give it to me. And he's like, no, it was won by combat. And he goes back to the thing on uh, Mandalore back in like the second episode when he was captured, lost the dark saber, uh, that creature droid thing, whatever it was, um, you know, I guess didn't really, well, it did take the dark saber from him because it was on his body and it took it and kind of just discarded it. And then Bogatan showed up. She took it. She killed the thing. And Din says, you know, um, I was captured. I lost the Darksaber. Bogotan defeated my captor with the Darksaber. Like she defeated the enemy that defeated me. So by your custom, would that not make her the rightful wielder of it? And they all kind of, uh, you know, acts at least kind of begrudgingly accepts that and says, well, yeah, I guess that would uh, make her legitimate. Um, and so Din hands her the Darksaber and Bogotan ignites it. And that's where it ends. Um, and this is another thing where I, I know, uh, you know, there, there's a lot we can discuss here because um, I know you didn't love this part. And I also didn't love it the first time I watched it just because I felt like it felt a little convenient, a little anticlimactic that it's like, oh, we're just going to go back to this thing from a few episodes ago that nobody's really addressed. And like, oh, that gives her a legitimate claim to the Darksaber so we can just give it to her now. Um, but that was another thing that on second watch, I did actually come to kind of appreciate that more. Um, first of all, I like what it means for their characters and where they're headed, um, especially for Din. As much as it's just been really cool seeing Din having the Darksaber and like it's just like that with his like silver armor um, is just a really cool visual. And anytime we've gotten to see him in action with it has been really fun. But also he kind of sucks with it. And he hasn't really gotten much better with it, even after having trained with the armor. And we saw that Bogotan was very proficient. I think that was, you know, sort of intentional to show us, like, he's not the guy to wield this. And he certainly is not the guy to 
take on the responsibility of leading all of Mandalore because that's not Din's character. And I know we've speculated a lot that like, oh, now that he has the Darksaber, like, is he going to take more of a leadership role or, you know, with him going back to Mandalore, is he the one that's going to lead his people to reclaim it and all that kind of stuff? But, like, I always kind of had a hard time envisioning him, like, sitting on the throne and ruling all of Mandalore. Because, like, that's not who his character is. He's the lone gunslinger. And this whole this whole season has been about him reclaiming his place among his people and just being accepted as a Mandalorian again and then helping them find a home, whether that be on, um, you know, Navarro or retaking Mandalore or whatever the case may be. But he has no aspirations to lead and he has no aspirations to wield the dark sabers. So um, even if the way that they went about sort of executing that part of the story might have felt a little weird. Um, I like the end result. I like that Bogotan's got it. I like that we don't have to worry about this for Din anymore, because I think, you know, also, like you said, people, you know, with some of the complaints this season of like him not feeling like the main character or feeling like they don't really know what to do with his character. I think once he... I guess I think his arc for this season is just kind of like being reaccepted into his people and then just helping his people. And I think once he helps them reclaim Mandalore and establish a home world and Bo-Katan is going to be established as the leader wielding the Darksaber, unless something, you know, goes sideways in these next couple episodes, then it frees us up moving forward that like Mandalore and the people and everything can be kind of Din's fallback point. Like we know you know where he fits in we know he always has a place to belong but he can find some new purpose and go off on adventures with grogu again where it's just the two of them and um you know go off and tell all kinds of different stories and they can go on all different adventures and stuff and um put the focus back on them um and you know not necessarily have to like he doesn't have to have the weight of the whole you know mandalorian planet and people and culture on his shoulders anymore um, and Bogatan and all of that can kind of go back to being like side stuff. And you could also tell separate stories with Bogatan and the armor and all that. But um, yeah, I, I like this move going forward um, just for kind of what it frees up for them to do with uh, Din and Grogu. And it makes a lot, like I said, it just makes a lot more sense for Bogatan to have it and to have that um, sort of position of leadership because she's, you know, the one that wants it. But I also like how this really uh, solidified, I think, some questions that we had around her character and as far as like, does she have ulterior motives? Uh, how far would she be willing to go to get the Darksaber? Would she turn on Din? Would she, you know, manipulate or kill people or whatever? Um, because we've seen her be on, on the wrong side before. Um, but I like that, you know, and, and we've, we've kind of been questioning that throughout the season and wondering like where all this would go, but this kind of solidified, like, no, she is, um, I don't know, at the end of the day, like she has the best interests of Mandalore and the Mandalorians as a people, um, on her mind. And not only that, but, you know, also we wondered like her, her joining the cult, so to speak, um, you know, was she playing them? Was she trying to use them? Was she, you know, going to betray them at some point? And it's like, no, we actually see that she's learned from being a part of them. And she's, you know, rather than seeing them as just these weird zealots and um, people that are kind of standing in her way, she's come to accept them and respect them and wants to unite them with her people. So, you know, you kind of see um, 
some growth and get some kind of definition on like where her arc this season has been going. So, um, yeah, I liked it a lot. And, you know, again, the, the fight with Axe was cool. The, the discussions and, and all that kind of stuff and resolving this whole situation, I think was cool. And even though we may have envisioned it as Bogotan having some epic showdown with Din or somebody else to try to reclaim the dark saber, um, I think going back to that earlier episode, it does kind of make sense because I remember people pointing that out when, uh, you know, I mean, they clearly go out of their way to show you, uh, you know, Din losing the Darksaber when he gets captured by that, that creature. Um, and, uh, you know, then Bogotan uses it, kills the thing, gives it back to him. And he says, you know, they even showed it at the, in the recap at the beginning of the episode when he's like, I'm forever in your debt. And so I think maybe he was just kind of keeping that in his back pocket. Like, I'm not going to give it to you right now, but like when the time comes, if someone questions, you know, your, your eligibility or whatever for this, like, I'm going to back you up. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Again, one of those things that like didn't necessarily play out the way I expected it to, but now after kind of reflecting on it and giving it a second look and everything, I've come to really like it. So. Yeah, for me, I'm still, having a hard time believing everything as far as how easy it was again for Bo-Katan to get the dark saber. It's almost felt like a repeat of what happened to rebels. And I'm just wondering if it's going to lead into the same result because I don't know, it just feels like she has it again on a technicality more so than winning it in combat, because it's definitely not, obviously it's not out of Din's character to offer it to her. He offered her, to her right away after he won it from Gideon in the season two finale and decided he casually says, I yield, take it. So it makes sense for him to do it again and to want to give it to her without them having a fight. But to me, it's like, it just feels strange for Bo-Katan and just for her to accept it again that way. And I know she refused it at first, but it wasn't until the rest of the Mandalorians there kind of agreed to it that, yeah, that makes sense. But for me anyway, it doesn't make sense for them to, accept it and that it makes sense because I don't know, maybe they don't know the full details on what happened because it just doesn't ring true that what Din was saying and the reasoning that, you know, the person that beat me and defeated me when I lost the dark saber, Bo-Katan defeated that person. So wouldn't it make sense for the person who, de who defeated uh, the one who uh, bested me uh, to shout the light, the dark saber. But in reality, it's like, Din and that creature, they didn't really fight, or it wasn't, you know, in the typical Mandalorian faction fashion, a challenge for leadership. He was just taken by surprise and captured um behind his back pretty much. And that's how he lost the saber. It wasn't through a fight or through a combat. And so even the way he lost it to me doesn't line up with the Mandalorian traditions on how um who should have the saber once defeated in combat. So for that reason, it just uh, doesn't make sense and the way he was describing it the mandalorians wouldn't know that he didn't obviously go into detail say that he was captured or he was taken by surprise he just says he was bested or defeated in combat which maybe they're saying that on purpose just to kind of make it so the mandalorians wouldn't uh, find any holes in that but to me if they knew the full details it would wouldn't feel earned for bo-katan to take it um from din in that sense, instance because and again, she didn't defeat the per the person wielding the dark saber. It was just lying on the floor, and she grabbed it to defeat 
uh, that creature. It wasn't like, again, one of those combat scenarios where she bested um, someone as a challenger and who was wielding the Darksaber. The Darksaber didn't even really play a factor in that battle um, as far as her get, attaining it in uh, the second episode of the season. So just a lot of things I just have find trouble um, accepting or fully believing the reason makes sense um, that Din was trying to give for Bo-Katan to have it where, yeah, she really did earn it by combat um, because she defeated the one who took it for me when it, that really didn't happen when you look at it closely. So, and just the way the Mandalorians accepted it was like, after all that and how much you put faith into having uh, someone wield a Darksaber, having to earn it through a combat uh, challenge and knowing what Bo-Katan how she got it the first time, how that led to ruin. And it just, this didn't feel that much different from that, which to me, I just have a hard time for those other Mandalorians accepting it so easily this way. So um, again, it just didn't ring true for that reason for her to have it was that way. Because again, I, I don't have a problem with her having the dark saber again. Um, again, because as you said, it's something that obviously she desired, but yet fits in with her goal for wanting to take back Mandalore and leave Mandalore, knowing that that Darksaber is a symbol for that. And again, going back to that whole thing where she's the only one who's seen the Mythosaur, so I still think that's going to play a factor to making uh, her the, the ruler of Mandalore make sense. It's all there. It's just the reasoning how Din decided to give her the Darksaber and just how quickly the other Mandalorians accepted that as the reason. It still just doesn't ring true to me. And I don't know, just something tells me that, as I kind of mentioned this in the last episode, where things are happening for Bo-Katan, like her goals and what she wants is happening just a little too easily for her, where I just think there's going to be a massive reveal or some something that's going to happen that's going to make things and her goals a lot more difficult, unbeknownst to her. And again, I still go back to my armor theory, where I think she's just really playing, <laughs> playing her here and just kind of maybe kind of be, being a little Palpatine in her as in the armor and kind of foreseeing certain things here and there and maybe guessing how things will play out um, if she leads Bo-Katan on this path here and having Din Djarin with her, knowing that this will kind of happen and kind of set her up for a big, uh, almost an even bigger fall from grace that she had before when she got the first Darksaber. So I, I'm still holding on to my theory that the armor is still the one who's going to be revealed as the main villain this season. And kind of this is all part of her plan because, as I said, I just think things are happening too conveniently for Bo-Katan here because of the armorer. And I think she probably knew that if she were to find her other Mandalorians, Din Djarin would offer up the Darksaber uh, to her again um, and to, to give that to, that claim and for her to accept it, but then to set, up, to set her up for an eventual fall. So we'll see if all that happens, but it's going to... Uh, I'm definitely still excited to see how this is all going to play out because, again, I just don't think it's just this simple now that uh, she has the Darksaber. Her, her old group of Mandalorians uh, have her as a uh, leader or are going to respect her as their leader again. Um, it's just, again, I just think more things are going to happen than just all being wrapped up in a nice bow right here and there. But obviously, we know there's two episodes left. Um, so I'm anxious to see how it's all going to play out, but... Uh, there's definitely more than meets the eye here, <laughs> if you're asking me. But um, the lead up to that moment was great, though. Seeing, I mean, seeing two Mandalorians fight, challenge each other for 
Uh, the role of leadership is something always cool to see once uh, we get it. Um, some great moves uh, that were on display here, especially when uh, they go on the ship and a Bo-Katan gets knocked down and then she just uses uh, her her rope to bring down <laughs> um, him with her and they go at mm-hmm. it and hit him with the flamethrower and she uses her energy shield to fly out and knock him on the ground. So there's cool Mandalorian action there. That, that was great. And again, just reclaiming her spot as leader, but again, just the way she got the dark saber, I just felt it, it just feels like she got it again on a technicality, really, and not by the real way it's been claimed uh, throughout its history that we've seen before. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this all develops, but uh, maybe it will make sense down the line. Um, I, I still got all the confidence in the world uh, uh, with John Favreau, Rick Famuleva, and Dave Filoni still has an executive producer this season have in store for us in these next two episodes to have the season wrap up and uh, culminate into what should be hopefully an exciting finale and just leave the characters Din Djarin and Bo-Katan in some like, very interesting places um, as the season ends. Because, um, And as you were saying about Din, you know, kind of not him ever wanting to rule Mandalore, that's not even on his radar, or just, but he just wants to be back with his covert. But to me, we were talking about this in some of our earlier discussions too, and I think even in the Minds of Mandalore episode, how it's the reluctant ones who make the best rulers and the ones who mm-hmm. end up being the best leaders. So I still think that might be a trajectory for Din Djarin's character to go on and a pathway for him to travel, um, depending on the circumstances and what goes down uh, with Bo-Katan here. So I still think some interesting stuff um, on that front as far as his story is on the way. Um, so I just, again, I just don't think it's this simple as far as it ending with him giving up the dark saber and that's it. That's all we're going to hear about, um, Bo-Katan wanting it, but Din still has it. But at the same time too, I'm thinking how much time do you want to, you don't really want to go back and forth with that too much where she has it and he has it and then someone else has it. You kind of want to have, have the dark saber <laughs> find a, a permanent home for a bit of, or a permanent wielder, I should say. Um, and I, Again, I do think it was a great character arc for Din to be that one who got it reluctantly and kind of had to learn how to wield it and come to terms with, um, even though he might not want it, but he would make kind of the best leader um, amongst, at least for his this group of Mandalorians after trying to reunite here uh, among them. So we'll see what plays out. Again, even though I wasn't the happiest with how Bogatown got the lightsaber or the darksaber, it's still just making me very anxious and excited to see these next two episodes to see how where the story is moving forward because now it could just go in a lot of different directions so i'm anxious to see how it all wraps up so uh, we'll find out in two weeks but um definitely didn't expect this episode to end the way it did a lot of stuff we were kind of wondering would be or maybe expecting to stuff to happen by the end of the season is happening earlier than expected as we even talked about with the minds of mandalore with din being redeemed and then uh, potentially the fate of the dark saber being resolved right here. So yeah, it's going to be exciting and interesting moving forward these next two weeks. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like I said, I was kind of on the same page with you at first feeling like, you know, this kind of feels anticlimactic that she's just getting it on a technicality and doesn't have to actually win it from anybody in combat. But at the same time, I think it's the best possible outcome and it's kind of a compromise between the two different scenarios of like, you know, Axe and all the, the other Mandalorians that want 
you know, need that validation of like, oh, this has to be won by combat. And yet Bogotan refusing to fight another Mandalorian for it. Like, and I wish they had kind of laid into that a little bit more over the course of the season. I wish that maybe we had seen her kind of like if I wish there had been some way to kind of see her struggle with that temptation of like wanting to take the Darksaber from Din, but also not wanting to kill him. And I also wish that they had shown a little bit more of, um, I don't know, maybe a little bit more like interpersonal bonding between the two of them, because at the beginning of the season, you know, when he first comes to, to see her and is like, Hey, I want to rejoin you on your quest to take Mandalore. And she's just kind of like, get out of here. I don't care about that anymore. Just very, you know, dismissive and doesn't really want anything to do with him. And then when she sees his ship come back, she's like, I'm going to get rid of him once and for all. Um, And then finds out that instead his life is in danger and she just springs into action, goes to rescue him. And then like they're allies the whole rest of the season. And I feel like they could have had a little bit more of a progression from her being like, I don't like you to, I'm okay with you or we can kind of like begrudgingly be allies to then like truly becoming friends. Um, It just seemed like ever since she was accepted into the covert that like she and Din were just friends. And it was like, weren't you like trying to kick him out and didn't ever want to see him again? Like last episode. Um, And it was, yeah, it was like, okay, it's fine. And after a certain point you get the, you kind of get the idea that like enough time has passed and they've been through enough stuff together in the covert that like now it makes sense that they would be allies. Um, I don't know. I I, I feel like this, I feel like this moment would have felt more earned if we had seen a little bit more of a progression and her really coming to, um, you know, like and respect him. Now, obviously, I mean, we know she's like, I'm. she she doesn't want to kill any Mandalorian because she says enough Mandalorian blood has been spilled. But um, I think you could have shown a little more progression of really like building up the bond between those two. Um, and then coming to this point where she's like, as much as I want it, I would never take the Darksaber from him because of how much I respect him. And then him yeah. saying, okay, but I've got this technicality up my sleeve of how I can give her the Darksaber and she doesn't have to fight me for it and everybody wins. So I do kind of like the way that they were able to like, as much as it may not have been the most exciting um, kind of story beat, I think it, it made a lot of sense for both characters. I will say I, them maybe not building up that relationship enough. I don't really, I didn't really have a problem with because I felt the minds of Mandalore really did that. And it was a short, obviously it was in one episode and, a short amount of time, but I just think it was such a unique experience for both of them, like a life-changing bonding experience that they had in those minds that like builds a friendship forever to see something that's been only spoke of in legends with her seeing the mythosaur and her saving his life in uh, the waters of Mandalore, which was such a big deal and important for him to, uh, to join back and to be redeemed. It's like one of those things, like when you experience together it's like, your friends for life type of thing so that is for that kind of building the relationship beyond that it worked for me is not feeling rush or anything like that and to be fair i'm not trying to like say that that's a negative criticism on the show um or that it's something i've had a problem with this season i thought it was fine up to this point it's just now talking about this moment i'm like they could have maybe built that up even a little bit more to kind of make this feel like kind of the um I don't know, like an exclamation point on a season long character arc and sort of relationship developing between the two of them. Um, 
whereas it felt like over at least over the last few episodes it's just kind of been even um but not necessarily a bad thing so i'm not trying to say that you know it's been poorly mm. done or anything up to this point just saying they maybe could have emphasized it a little bit more yeah and i love the dialogue that both din and bo had here again just pain showing their respect for each other just how much they've grown as characters especially when we first they first met each other in uh the heiress episode in season two so it was just great just showing like showing their respect and appreciation that they've had now after all that they've been through so again it, it does make sense why din would do that for her to give her that for what he he knows that she really wants and needs uh to reach her goal but uh, again it's just her accepting it still and the other Mandalorians kind of easily accepted that's kind of where my big issue with it comes from knowing what we know and how it happened in that second episode of the season it's just something about it's just not ringing true yeah I don't know I mean like I said I think for me it it works well enough but um I know it certainly doesn't work for everybody um, but hopefully it can kind of be one of those things where like going forward, you know, where they take the story from here, will kind of justify it or at least, you know, make it worthwhile. I'm certainly excited to see more stuff with her with the Darksaber now, just seeing, you know, that first fight that she had with it, like how much more proficient she was and everything. So, yeah. um, and also you never know, like you said, a lot can happen over these last two episodes. Maybe we'll think this is some, you know, big triumphant moment and then the Empire will, you know, pull the rug out from under them. Um, because also, you know, you're talking about Din being the reluctant hero and having to take it up. I'm like, maybe somebody defeats Bo Katan and then Din has to step up and defeat them. It just can't be Moff Gideon again because I'm like, we don't need to see, you know, like Din defeating Moff Gideon to take the Darksaber again would just be kind of redundant, but uh, maybe some other villain that they'll introduce. But yeah, see, but um, even that will be redundant. I think no matter who, if he gets it again by a fight, <laughs> it just, yeah. But also, I'm just saying he he could still, I mean, to your point, he could still be put into a position at some point in the future where he needs to take up that responsibility or needs to be in more of a leadership role or something like that. I'm just or saying, it, you know, we don't know where it's headed these yeah. next two episodes. But I and, don't necessarily think that's going to be the case. Because like I said, if they leave it where Bo-Katan is ruling Mandalore, keeps the Darksaber, and Din just goes off on adventures with Grogu next season, I'm totally fine with that. Hmm. See, I'm kind of hoping where I want to see like that reluctant hero story for Din or the reluctant leader uh, play out for him. And I, I'm just thinking about too, maybe we keep talking about kind of what Mandalorians need to do, kind of evolve and move past some of their strict beliefs to come together or at least be open to the other Mandalorians way of doing things and to be more united. Maybe by the end of the season, we'll get the final story of the dark saber, maybe it's going to be destroyed once and for all, or kind of have its final resting place to where who, being the leader of the Mandalorians doesn't need to have the dark saber beyond this point. Maybe that's kind of the direction they're going to go to show. It is not the end all be all uh, to be the leader, the true leader of Mandalore. See, so maybe I wish, I wish you wouldn't have brought that up because that's a really good story point. And I like that, but I would hate to see the Darksaber get destroyed because it's so freaking cool. Yeah, I mean, it'd, it'd be close to losing Crosshair's helmet in the Outpost episode. <laughs> Are you kidding me? This is way above Crosshair's helmet. Oh, well, there's a debate we could have. <laughs> Forget about how Bogotan got the Darksaber. What's cooler, the Darksaber or Crosshair's helmet? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that could be a direction that it goes to kind of 
instead of like I said, how many times can the change uh, leadership or change its wielder for the dark saber? Let's just have it be destroyed and have maybe Bo-Katan will be the final one to wield it. And, but yet it's not necessarily going to mean she will end up being the ruler of Mandalore here. So um, that could be an interesting way to go because as much as it is cool to have Seedin wield it and kind of reluctantly win it or unbeknowingly win it from Moff Gideon and didn't realize he'd have to keep it and kind of just give it away. Um, I would hate to kind of see it go back and forth like we we're talking about. You don't want to do that too much where it just gets redundant. Even now, if he gets it back some way, it would still feel real redundant. Like, why even do this in the first place if he's going to have it back again? So I'm kind of accepting now that he's done with the Darksaber. It's just a matter of if that Darksaber is going to survive the rest of the season and if it's really going to be necessary um, for the ruler, the eventual ruler of Mandalore to have in its possession. Yeah, all good points. Um, and we'll see. Like we said, there's only, it feels like it's only a short two episodes left, but I mean, there's a lot that can happen in those two episodes. And it's interesting because, again, you, you know, you hear so many complaints. There's been a lot of complaints from people this season and a lot of people that have, have still really enjoyed it. Um, but I feel like this is, you know, sort of a constant thing with any Star Wars series. This is going to be people that have their criticisms and stuff, which, and again, so, you know, some of those criticisms are totally valid, but then some of it just feels like naysayers and stuff. Um, but I mean, one of the, the constant criticisms through some of the other episodes and specifically with this episode is like, oh, it doesn't know where it's going. It doesn't feel like a cohesive story. It feels like it's jumping all over the place. It feels like Din isn't the main character. Um, but I feel like we've had a lot of these same complaints in, especially in season one at this exact same point in the season, maybe not so much about Din not being the main character, but about, you know, it's like the first three episodes of season one were all pretty much a, a cohesive story arc, um, where Din gets hired to find Grogu. He goes, finds Grogu, he protects Grogu, he brings Grogu back. And then he decides to, you know, not hand Grogu over to the empire and rescues him and off we go and then the next three episodes are just kind of like you know i feel like after those first three everybody was really on board they're like man this show is awesome and then the next three were all kind of like one-off standalone adventures and everybody was like where's this going the season has lost its sense of direction like this show isn't as good anymore it's already kind of losing its way and like i had kind of forgotten about that until like this week i was like oh all this discourse sounds very familiar <laughs> And then, of course, what happened in season one, it was bookended by two awesome episodes to close out the season and everybody loved it. And now everybody looks back on season one more or less fondly. Um, and like we talked about, there was stuff even set up in some of those one off episodes at the time that maybe felt random or irrelevant or not connected to the main story that ended up coming back in and playing a main role in the story. Um I mean, you had the one episode that introduced Cara Dune and she ended up coming back at the end of the season. Uh, you had the one episode that introduced Fennec Shand and teased Boba Fett at the end. And obviously that's led to a lot of big stuff. Um, and then even the episode with the uh, the prison transport, um, you know, that's had some stuff pop up in, uh, in other storylines that they've kind of picked up on, especially, you know, with the New Republic and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I think... You know, I, I feel like in a couple of weeks, we'll hopefully be all feeling the same way where, you know, these last couple episodes really tie everything together. 
Um, and then when you look back on the season, you'll see the whole arc and the whole direction and everything that it's been building towards the whole time, even if it kind of took its time getting there or went off on some side tangents or, you know, we had to stop and help Lizzo and Jack Black fix some droids along the way. Um, I think it's all still more or less heading in a good direction. And especially, I mean, like I said, you know, the stuff at the end of the episode really did work for me and I'm excited to see where they go from here with the Mandalorian stuff. The one thing that they did not answer was uh, what's the deal with Moff Gideon and the supposed Mandalorians that rescued him, or if it wasn't Mandalorians, like who left Beskar on his ship? Um, you know, it still could maybe have been Axe's group if somebody paid them enough to bust him out, but um, they certainly gave no indication of that or no hints to it being somebody else. So if anything, my suspicion of Bogatan is now off the table i don't think that and she certainly was not still in league with this with these guys and you know they yeah. weren't <laughs> acting on her behalf so um yeah i'm i'm no longer suspicious of bogatan but axe and the rest of the guys still possibly could have been hired by thrawn or somebody else to bust out moff gideon um or I still think it's possible that maybe there is a faction of Imperial loyalist Mandalorians out there, like we saw in rebels. And maybe we're going to get those guys introduced. Um, or, you know, everybody's saying like, Oh, it could be a frame job or something. I, I feel like that's too easy of a cop out. Me too. That, like, I really hope it's not that. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, it was just some Imperials that came and rescued Moff Gideon. And he was like, Oh, before we go, let me just jam some Beskar in the wall that I just happened to have in my yeah. pocket or something. Like I, that would be my least favorite option. Um, but then, like you said, it could possibly still be the armor or maybe somebody else, um, you know, that's, that's going to betray the group or something like that. Although I, highly doubt that even if the armorer somehow does end up being a villain i don't think i don't know because i know I, I now that i'm thinking back on it, i know you said you think that she maybe freed moff gideon just so she could kill him herself and that the mandalorians could kind of get their own justice on him and that they maybe want to do the same to bogatan and that could happen um I don't know. I don't know if I fully buy into that. I don't necessarily think the armorer is a bad guy, but I do think she knows more or has more planned than she's letting on. She's definitely, you know, mysterious. And um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens over these next couple episodes, but I'm really excited to see how they close out the season and where all this stuff is going. Yeah. I could still see, um, Axe Wolves and his group of Mandalorians as working as mercenaries, where maybe they still were the ones who rescued Moff Gideon, probably for a hefty price for them to rescue the man responsible for responsible for destroying their home world. But that can maybe cause a big rift between Bo Katan and them if she does find that out that they're the ones who rescued him. And that can again be one of those wrenches thrown into her plans and, and her goals to reunite the Mandalorians, where when she finds out that they freed Moff Gideon the one responsible for destroying Mandalore, that could cause a whole bunch of problems and uh, their goal to retake Mandalore. So we'll see if they are the ones revealed to that because that is something I could see potentially the story going. Because again, what I was saying, how things going a little too easily easily right now for Bo-Katan, that could be a big wrinkle <laughs> into what she has planned. And it, would she be able to work with these Mandalorians still or lead them if they're the ones who freed uh, the destroyer of their home. So 
that is still a potential. I think it can go as far as revealing who freed Moff Gideon, but I'm still on the armorer. <laughs> I'm going to be with that one until it's proven otherwise in these next two episodes. Yeah, we'll see. Um, and I wonder if we'll find that out, you know, hopefully we get some big answers next episode and then just kind of set some stuff up for a big kind of show stopping finale. Yeah. Hopefully um, the reveal happens at the end of the next episode. And then in the finale, we get deal with the resolution and the conflict yeah. of that reveal. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm hoping for too. It's also going to be interesting to see what happens with Mandalore and, you know, them finally like reuniting all these Mandalorians and they've got all these ships and stuff. Um, because I'm wondering, like, because, you know, Bo-Katan back in season two was like, we need to go reclaim Mandalore. And then the armorer even said this. is She's like, we need to retake Mandalore. But Din's been to Mandalore and, like, nobody's holding Mandalore. It's like, why do you need a fleet to go take Mandalore when, like, nobody's occupying it? Um, but then you remember when Din and Bo-Katan were traveling from uh, Mandalore back to Kalabala, that's when they got ambushed by all those TIE Interceptors. So mm -hmm. maybe the Empire still is operating in that system. Maybe they even have a base on Mandalore still, just on a different part of the planet or something. So, um, yeah, it's a little fuzzy there, even like what is like, you know, why do they feel like they need a fleet? to retake Mandalore and like how much of a challenge is that going to be? Um, but I think like all this kind of seems to be pointing to like, there's gotta be a battle there at some point. Yeah. Um, Plus we got to see the mythosaur in action. Yeah. And that, <laughs> yeah. And now see, and where, what, how is that going to play into it? Is Bogatan going to be like wielding the dark saber and riding the mythosaur or is Din going to have some kind of interaction with it or, um, is it just going to kind of be there as a symbol for all of the people? Like, I don't know. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff that still could happen. Grogu could um, be the one to tame it as we saw he did with the Rancor. Could, uh, maybe. He could be the one riding it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It'll be fun to see how it all plays out. Also, one thing I do want to say, if this really is the end of Din having the Darksaber, I'm fine with it, but he needs another cool weapon now because... He's yeah, he lost the dark saber. Too. Yeah, yeah. He's like, well, he's lost the dark saber. He's lost his spear, and I'm pretty sure he lost his pulse rifle too, because yeah, we haven't right. seen him. We haven't seen him use that since uh, the Razor Crest blew up. So I think that thing was on the Razor Crest. Um. So yeah, if you're not gonna, you know, if he's not gonna have the dark saber anymore, he's at least got to have some other kind of cool weapon aside from just his pistol. So, um. But yeah, we'll see. Like I said, it's. Uh, I, I was I was excited coming into this episode thinking, okay, there's a lot to resolve and only three episodes left. And then this episode didn't resolve the stuff I wanted to see, but then ended up still being a fun episode. Um, but still, the, and you know, of course, we got a little bit of the Mandalorian stuff at the end with Bo-Katan and getting the Darksaber back. But now there's still a lot more to... Uh, to resolve and and to see play out over these last two episodes of the season now. So I'm hoping these really deliver. Rick Famuyiwa directed both of them and he's directed some killer episodes in the past. So I'm sure he's going to do a great job with these. Um, and uh, yeah, it should just be really fun to see what happens and then get to come back and talk about all of it and see what theories were right and what theories were wrong and what blew our minds and what's going to lead into Ahsoka and season four and beyond. So Plenty of good times still ahead. And again, even though I said this episode, it still feels weird watching it a second time. It is going to be one that stands out 
from all the rest. And even if it's not your thing, like it nece wasn't necessarily my favorite uh, aspect that we see sometimes in Star Wars when it goes a little over the top, but it's still, again, it's not the end of the world when that happens. So there's not, nothing wrong with Star Wars does dive into that aspect a little bit. And you were talking about how it kind of felt like one of those kind of strange or one-off episodes of the Clone Wars uh, that we got sometimes. And I agree with, and I've seen a lot of talk about this too on social media where this really felt like a George Lucas type of Star Wars episode. And it just made me think if you were to ask George Lucas, what's his favorite episode of the Mandalorian, this one might be at the top of his list, knowing how a sunny day in the void is his favorite Clone Wars episode. And those, some of those more quirky, weird ones are more up his alley. So uh, this is kind of how I think about this, this episode. So again, even if it's not your thing, um, it's okay for the series to have a few bumps on the road here and there over the course of its of its length. So not the end of the world and not the end of Star Wars or Star Wars has fallen from grace from what it's always been. It's just like, let's just calm down a little bit. You didn't enjoy it. Certain aspects of it. Let's just move on and get ready uh, to be excited for the next ones. Yeah, definitely. And definitely agree that George Lucas probably would love this episode. Yeah. And it's when, you know, people see, I've seen people online be like, oh, look what's happened to Star Wars since George has left. And like, you know, George would be disgusted. It's like, no, George would love this. Like George yeah, made stuff just, George made stuff just like this in Clone Wars. Um, in fact, George doing stuff like this in the prequels was what made everybody mad at him at the time. And then he was like, okay, well, I don't want to make seven, eight, and nine and deal with all that fan backlash. So here, Disney, you do it. And then everybody's like, Disney sucks. George, come back. And, you know, it's like, who's to say people wouldn't be saying the same things about George if he was still in charge? So it would be. It's a, it's a never ending cycle. Yeah. It's like poetry, it rhymes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so fun episode. Um, and uh, yeah, excited to see where we go from here. Um, but before we wrap up, I know you, uh, put out the question on social media, asking the listeners what they thought of it. So did we get any good responses on that? Um, yes. Uh, first up, we got kid Kenobi. He's saying weird and goofy, but I liked it. The cameos were surprising, but fun. I just wish we were spending more time on the main story rather than side quests this late in the season. And then Berksba says, wish they would spend more time moving the story during episode versus waiting until the end of the episodes was goofy, but enjoyed it curious on your thoughts as to how they will bookend the season i and he mentions i missed the bad batch <laughs> and yes <laughs> so i will say it was a little i did miss having the bad batch to watch uh yesterday along with the rewatching the mandalorian again so i'm with you there and then uh rich rodriguez who got to give a shout out to rich because uh we actually worked together back in my toys r us days during the prequels um, oh, nice. he was one of the supervisors so the fact that um he follows us and listens to the podcast is awesome so rich hope you're doing good but he says, I found it to be a great adventure. The balance between the new Mandalorian way of thinking and the old way are starting to merge. The way of doing things or interrogating others was cool for each to learn from each other. Balance is the key to the force, which engulfs everything. And yeah, I like how we put that where, again, the, as we talked about the Mandalorians and their different factions and their different views and how they need to come together and kind of finding that balance and just Again, going back to the concept just of the force of how it surrounds everything and just how you can look at it that way too, where the force tries to find balance and that's kind of how what these Mandalorians need to find balance was amongst themselves too. So I did like how Rich put that in there. So yeah, it's kind of at least from our followers and listeners and their responses, 
kind of share the same sentiment, weird and goofy, but still seem to enjoy it um, for what it did give us. So um, yeah, kind of glad to see that um, the more positive side and reaction for uh, this episode from some of our listeners. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny because like I said, a lot of people either loved it or hated it. Um, and people are either like, oh yes, Bryce Ellis Howard delivers every time this episode was phenomenal or people being like, what the absolute heck was that? Like, this was a disgrace. And so it's nice to also hear from people that are just like, yeah, it was fun and goofy, but I liked it. And honestly, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, I still certainly don't love it as much as some people do, but I have definitely come around from, you know, not liking it the first time I watched it. So I'm glad you guys all enjoyed it. And, you know, thank you for sharing your thoughts with us. Um, and if you want to follow along and share your thoughts with us as well, you can follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC or check out our Facebook page, Star Wars The Saga Continues. Uh, you can send us email at Star Wars TSC at gmail.com and check out our website at Star Wars TSC.com. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, we are going to go get some sleep, wake up bright and early in the morning and see what's going on with Celebration and can't wait to be back soon with another episode for you guys breaking down all the news and announcements and stuff. And hopefully it's going to be an awesome weekend of uh, just new Star Wars stuff. And we'll try to get this one out pretty soon so that, um, you know, you maybe listen to this over the weekend or something in between uh, breaking Star Wars news stories. But, um, you know, try to get this one out soon. So then when we do our, our second one next week and then we'll do another regular Mando episode next week, try to space them out a little bit. Um but yeah, man, we've been doing a lot of podcasting lately and we're going to be especially cramming a lot in in these next couple of weeks. So yep, more to come. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like I said, it's a good problem to have and it's been a lot of fun. And uh, these next couple of weeks are also going to be a ton of fun. So, um, but yeah, that's going to do it for now. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you next time and may the force be with you. See you next time, everybody. <laughs>